0: Right, so hello and welcome listeners and viewers to this and Aberdale special as part of my 30th birthday and 30 years in craft beer project. Um, I'm joined by both Laura and Dan from Aberdale. Guys, thank you for joining me. No welcome. Thanks for having us. No, you're very welcome, Laura. Thank you for uh, signing signing yourselves up for, for doing this. You you pretty much responded fairly quickly to doing this and were quite keen to do it, so so thank you. But uh, Laura, do you want to get us started and tell us uh, what your job entails at Aberdale and how you were... Uh, began there and then move on to you, Dan.
1: Yeah, so, um, so I'm the marketing manager here. Um, I've been working here for nearly six and a half years now. Um, so I've seen the brewery through um, quite a, a change really. When I first started, um, we'd just started producing cast beers kind of over the past couple of years. Um, I think it was 2014 we first started uh, dabbling in that. So um, we've gone from being, uh, you know, well over 95% cask-led to, um, I think, last year cask fell below 10% for the first time. Wow. Um, and obviously with the pandemic speeding up the uh, amount of cans we've been uh, releasing as well, um, you know, there's been quite a few drastic changes Um really over the years but at the heart of it has always stayed the same kind of principles and values um you know quality community consistency um and having a bit of a laugh while we're doing it um so uh, yeah it's uh, a really varied role uh, that I do here um, no two days are ever the same um but you know that's that's how I like it really so yeah that's part of the fun
0: yeah <laughs> So Dan, moving on to yourself.
1: Yeah,
2: so um, I'm Dan Baxter, and I'm the sales director for Abitale Brewery. Um, I've worked, uh, I've worked for Abidale Brewery for about 14 years now. Wow. Uh, probably going on 15. Um, started in their in one of their pubs um, in Sheffield back in 2006, 2007. Um, when that pub had to where to wind that business down, they offered me a job in the brewery, uh, generating sales. Um, and I uh, I picked up brewing just by watching and learning Pat, learning from Pat. Sorry. And um, yeah, when I'd sold too much, I'd go downstairs and go and brew it. And when I brewed too much, I went upstairs and went and sold it. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So you're both a bit of a, a jack of all trades, and just sort of dabble here and there with different things, as and as and when the the need arises.
2: Yeah, yeah. So I was made a I was made a director in two thousand and twelve, um, and then uh, and yeah, you just um, continue to uh, to drive the business going forward. But ever since I've been at the brewery, we've always uh, pretty much achieved double digit growth.
0: Yeah. Excellent. Apart from yeah. last year, I see it was good. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd be remiss to obviously uh, to avoid the conversation or not mention it. But yeah, obviously the last twelve sort of twelve to eighteen months have been very, very challenging. But between you obviously both been there sort of six, six and a half years and fifteen years, you've seen a, a lot of challenges, needless to say. But I imagine that's been the uh, the biggest challenge for you both in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, I imagine.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think it's, um, you know, there are positives that have come out of it now that we've kind of got a little bit of space to reflect on it. Um, one thing that I've really enjoyed is, um, having more opportunity to speak to the people that are actually drinking the beer, um, is something that's uh, kind of really, um, come forward, um, over the past 18 months or so. Um, you know, obviously, um, alongside people drinking our beer in the pubs as well. Um, I've certainly been enjoying getting back to the pubs over the past few months as well, but uh, yeah, just kind of having um, more opportunity to um to open up conversations with, with our community around Sheffield and beyond um is something that um, I've seen as a big positive. Um, and as I've already mentioned, um, being able to uh, we got our own canning line in right at the start of the pandemic, which was incredibly fortunate. <laughs> um, but again, that's something that um, kind of the the progress we've been able to make in canning was, uh, I think it's fair to say, uh, the pandemic accelerated all of that for us. Um, which, uh, again, now that we can look back on it, um, you know, we can see that as um, a good thing. Uh, but yeah, definitely <laughs> an incredibly challenging year, and um, with pubs being closed, um, and that being the the vast majority of our, of our beer going into pubs was um, incredibly difficult. Um, mm. But yeah, hopefully touch wood, things are uh, slowly returning to some kind of normal now, so uh, yeah. yeah, Fingers able, crossed. It's still here, still here and able to celebrate our 25th anniversary as a brewery, so yeah.
0: yeah. Exactly, uh, and like I said earlier, that's one of the one of the, the reasons why we are indeed here today, um, which it kind of ties in quite nicely that I'm obviously celebrating my 30th birthday next month in September, and you guys are obviously celebrating your, your 25th anniversary and birthday as well, so it's a massive sort of testament to yourselves as a, as a collector in a brewery that you are still here um, after 25 years. And like I say, after the 12 last 12 to 18 months that you're still sort of getting things done. um, albeit on a sort of a different, different sort of journey that you maybe expected sort of end of 2019, start of 2020. Um, but, but you are still here. That's the main thing. And um, sort of the, the biggest sort of reason that you're here um, going back to sort of the, the early days and the starting days is obviously the, the beer that, your biggest well-known beer is uh, is Moonshine, um, which is, I think, rightly so, is pretty much fair to say a, a Sheffield institution or a, a, certainly a South Yorkshire institution, um, and sort of further afield. So, Dan, you'll probably know maybe a little bit more about it, being here for, for a little bit longer and dabbling with the the brewing side of it. But the early days of Moonshine, how did it sort of how's that changed over the years? And obviously, going into Cannes in the last sort of twelve to eighteen months, how's how has it changed? And how have you had to adapt to serving it over a, a couple of different styles now?
2: Ooh, okay. Where do I start? Well, before I started, Pat and his brother and uh, the, the other two chaps that work in sales, their the sales technique was to go and drink the beer in the pub and sh- show everyone how good it was. Um, we, I mean, we've always had what we call some bulletproof customers uh, in Sheffield uh, and th- they've flown the flag, shall we say, mm. um, and and they've, they've never let us down, and we're, week in week out, the, the 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 orders that we get from from some of our bulletproof customers, it's always consistent. With, with, yeah. with, like, there's the the three stags in um, in in Derbyshire, the, the Union, Fagans, uh, Dog and Partridge. You know, you, you ask anyone in Sheffield about these pubs, and they'll tell you a a funny story about about it, and and Moonshine will have played a part in there mm. for sure. Um, the other thing that, uh, that, that Pat did was he managed to get Moonshine into, the, um, into the, uh, the Sheffield Students' Union and that was a stroke of genius because you, you plant some seeds within students and then they, they spread it wide and far so all of a sudden people were asking for our beer in, uh, in, in Manchester, in and Nottingham, and, in Leeds and other major cities. Um, and again, backed up by stories of drinking it in these <laughs> in these places, we've always had quite high standards um, of all our beers. Um, we uh, every brewer that, that makes a beer, they uh, they put their name on it. They sign it off as this is this is fit to go on sale. Um, and we've we've always um, been stickler for um, bright and crystal clear beer, which is, it did hinder us when we, when we started reaching the craft beer market, yeah. um, because not only some of our customers needed to learn, but myself and other people who worked in the brewery needed to learn that beer doesn't just have to be bright and crystal clear. When we, as Laura said, we were incredibly fortunate to take uh, our canning line back in, in, in April. Last year, and I think there was there was only me on the board that was still on the fence whether packaging Moonshine into cans was was good for the brand, you know, because you'll you'll always get people try and compare um, cask versus can, or cask versus product versus product. Yeah, and obviously when you take a cask beer um, and you put it in the fridge, it's going to throw a haze. Mm. Also, if you're serving it cold, uh, the hops aren't going to come through as much. So. I was, I was taking it to the extreme. If we're putting moonshine into this small pack, is it the same beer? Turns out it is. And everyone's, <laughs> everyone's really enjoying it. And it's, it's, uh, it is cast beer and um, just with a little bit of a sparkle put in at the end. Camera really rallied behind it as well.
1: what you were saying as well about the students union um the very first six pack of moonshine we actually sold uh on our online shop last year went all the way to aberdeen and we were kind of we were thinking it was going to be um you know quite sheffield focused and a lot of it does go around sheffield but um Mm. i think i was personally quite taken aback by how many people were ordering it from outside but we were getting emails from people saying i'm so pleased it's in can because you know i now live hundreds of miles away from the brewery and haven't been able to drink moonshine since my student days in the early 2000s <laughs> um so uh, yeah that's something that's kind of continued all through moonshine's life really and uh, it's a beer that's been uh, part of the brewery since since the very beginning in 1996 um so and i think is it still about half of everything yep, we it's, sell it's half
2: of everything we sell and uh, in the in the camera um, census that they used to do every year, um, Moonshine always used to come out on top as uh, most commonly found cask beer in Sheffield, which we, we were always very, very proud of.
0: Mm. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of them beers that if you sort of ask people, especially in Yorkshire, but like Laura, you said there, sort of further afield sort of cask beers that come to mind, I think Moonshine without fail will be top five, if not top three of most people's sort of, suggestions of what they would expect to find if they could, you know, if they went into a pub or indeed if they ran a pub, what their cask lineup would be. I think certainly it would be Moonshine that comes in the list or if not one of your other sort of cask beers that you do, because I think, like you said the the range that you've offered for so many years has got such a, a name and a reputation, which Dan, I understand completely from your sort of point of view there about canning it that, you know, from your point of view is preserving the name and the brand is if you bob it in a can, it You know, by rights, like you say, in some respects, no, it isn't the same sort of beer because it's not been served the same way, stored the same way, kept, you know, all these different sort of factors that play into serving and drinking beer that I can understand why, you know, why you might be hesitant, Uh, you know, about doing it. But thankfully, it seems that people have been receptive to it. I know certainly from my own personal perspective of working in the shop where I do you know we get fans that come in for for moonshine again and again um you know in Canon, it's without fail it, it does sell um because it's just a, a reliable beer that people when they buy it they know what they're getting um and they're going to in, going to enjoy it each time but sort of it's it's is it probably, is it your sort of beer that's won the most awards over the over recent years or historically as well because it's been going for so long and it's got such a strong reputation
2: yeah i mean in in the early days of of, of trying to sell beer yeah, in, in my experience it was before you used to go around with samples and, and and show the chief beer buyer this this is what it is so i had to uh, i had to generate my own techniques and one of them was if you just give this beer a try i'm that confident it'll sell for you mm. if it doesn't sell I'll, I'll credit you for for the lot and yeah all right we'll give this we'll give this guy a go and and I knew I knew the following Monday they're going to be ringing me up saying, "Oh, that flew out. So many people came in, amazed to see it on the bar." And I was like, "Yeah,
0: yeah, told you, yeah, <laughs> yeah." it won't be a phone call asking for uh, for the money back or come pick it up. It's not going anywhere. Solution and
1: Black Mass have done quite well as well, haven't they? Um, but Moonshine's the one which has reached the furthest as well. I think we've had a. Um, won the category won its category in the uh, champion of champion beer of britain awards at, um which is the camera competition mm-hmm. um so i think it's our only beer to have made it to the final there um, but quite a few others have won uh, kind of regional awards and that kind of thing
0: yeah yeah, um, yeah which is not surprising like say in and what you said to sort of your your transition that you've seen between the pair of you over the years of sort of going some more Cask beer to craft beer to to canning, it's. I think you've kind of kept that sort of reputation along the, you know, along along the, the brands and the the beers that you've brought out across all the different serving styles and methods and packaging methods that you've uh, that you've done. So, it's a massive sort of testament to to what you guys do behind the scenes. And like I said, Daniel, sort of seal of approval that this is our beer. It's you know it's as good as we want it to be, and it's as good as we can make it. So you will enjoy it, and people seemingly do do still enjoy it so it's a it's a massive hats off to what you guys do so massive massive congratulations obviously part of the reason why why you're still around so moving on to your, your beers that you've you've released recently for your 25th uh, 25th birthday what what was the what was the thinking behind those in terms of was it a brainstorm collectively between you as a, a brewery and a team of what you want to do or did uh, the head honchos just say this is what we're doing and this we want to do or brewers choice what was the what was the decision making process there
2: i mean there's rarely a decision that comes from the top down mm. uh, it, uh, the 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 ideas the, the some of, i mean the best ideas always come from the brewers or the marketing yeah. or the sales team all and straight away i've got the buy-in that that's what we're going to do and someone's going to project lead it and run with it the uh, some of the beers were old old favorites which um um last is it how many have we done now there's last rights and brimstone were included weren't
1: they yeah we re-released our barley wine last rights uh, right at the beginning of the year as kind of kicking off the 25th mm. anniversary celebrations yeah. um as well as brimstone was a, it's a american brown ale um that used to be in our core range um but had to come out due to hop shortages um a few years ago um but yeah, they were kind of what got the ball rolling for the birthday releases. And then, um, more recently we've done a new beer every week for the past six weeks, um, that are a combination of completely new beers, but that have some kind of celebratory twist on them, um, mm-hmm. or, um, kind of, uh, tweaking an existing beer, um, to bring mm-hmm. something new and a bit different to it. So, uh, yeah, done a bit of a mixture, but it's definitely been a collaborative effort and, um, Thinking about all different aspects of who we are and what we do, and finding a beer that that fits every element really.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna say, cause I mean, looking at the sort of the five that that you sent out to me, which massive thanks for for sending these out to me uh, in the first place. But you look at you've got your your Cry Heathen in there, which obviously Heathens, part of one of your sort of your, your core range, your American Pale, but obviously hopped to have a slightly different now. And your Double Deception, um, so obviously Deception again is part of your your sort of core range, but obviously doubling the strength but you've got your sort of your other sort of more unique beers in there shall we say obviously you've got your celebration mimosa quarter ipa so a, a low strength uh beer at 2.8 percent there uh then going over to your to your, your funk dungeon one, your pineapple weed outing which i think it needs to say that your funk dungeon series is uh, an interesting series and gets a uh get some some funky flavors and uh, releases in there which is a great see that you've included in that in there but then obviously going into your chocolate cake stout and your uh Methuselah your, your big sort of heavy hitting heavy hitting stout in there, which I think sort of from my again sort of personal, you know, experience working in the shop is any stouts that you guys seem to do always go down a stone, which obviously you've got your salvation series, which was you'd bring different flavors in your coconut, um, cappuccino, that sort of thing. But your whenever a big stout comes out, there always seems to be a an excitement about them. So was it always going to be apart from the the birthday stout that you have to do a sort of a, a bigger and sillier stout or
1: I think we've tried to release um a Methuselah well we do a Lost Souls every year which is our other imperial stout and mm-hmm. then Methuselah I think the aim was to release them every year but because they're barrel aged we just get them when we get them <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah so that was a little bit more unpredictable but uh mm-hmm. managed to time one uh just right for to include it as one of our birthday releases this year so uh <laughs> Yeah, it was it was partly by design, but also partly by uh, the beer in the barrels behaving themselves in the way we hoped they might do.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I suppose that's always the challenge. You just never know how it's going to turn out. Sometimes, do you? So, but I'd seen i seen recently. It was I think it was this week. He just had some more some more barrels turn up for, for stuff to go and sit in and forget about in a corner somewhere. So, sort of is that sort of just a, an ongoing program that you're always going to have some sat in a in a barrel stout wise or something dark just aging away in a corner
1: yeah i think sometimes we don't even know what's in there do we until uh jim who brews uh who's the kind of lead brewer on the barrel project um mm. will just be like Ta-da! <laughs> <laughs> surprise um, yeah so we do have uh, various bits and bobs uh squirreled away in there um but yeah there's there's often a, a nice uh, big boozy stout on the go
0: i mean it'd be rude not to with some of the you know the barrels that you get that's pretty much what they're designed for really I suppose apart from the primary purpose of what was being in there but obviously you've got bourbon barrels and things like that it's just just makes sense to to stick a stout in there and forget about it for a few months and just let it do its thing isn't it so uh so yeah don't blame you but sort of moving on to your to onto your barrel engine a bit more of your your funk dungeon project then again how did how did that sort of come to be then was that just sort of a uh, see what happens sort of thing or again was it an idea that just a concept that came to fruition or just a fortuitous coming of circumstances to to do it
2: well in in when was it now october 2016 i think it was um we did a tour of um north carolina some some breweries over there we went to went to wicked weed uh, another place um which will always stick out fondly in my head is a place called Wedge Um, and some of the some of the styles of sour beer that we had over there were just mind-blowing yeah just seeing seeing what we can what what can be done with with that with those beers and how they can be marketed and how they can be used um to uh you know to to get a bit of interest into into a certain project um, mm, yeah, it's like an attention-grabbing kind of beer.
0: Yeah,
2: niche but still attention-grabbing. Mm-hmm. Now, when uh, when we came back from there was a, a similar time that we were we had a range of beers called Brewer's Signature Range, uh, and it was just starting to draw to an end. And um, Jim proposed doing one of our first. It was a sour, wasn't it? Was kettle it?
1: sour. The kettle Rango sour. Mango. mango beer.
2: Yeah, uh, Rango Mango. It was called. Mm. So it was a mango kettle sour. And yeah, the, we, we packaged it and just it just flew out the doors. People just loved it. Then we started seeing Jim uh behaving weirdly and he'd, with <laughs> vessel little demijohns in his locker. Uh, and, he, and uh, whenever we do staff beer tastings, he'd want to save the dregs of the yeast of some some bottles and and we'd sneakily see him scurry it away into a demijohn and then shut it away and and then one uh <laughs> i think we were we were trying some of the beers that we brought back from north carolina amongst the amongst the staff talking about it and, and at the end jim just presented us with this what do you think of this <laughs> hmm. <laughs> Oh, that's amazing where does that come from well it's some yeast that i've cultured myself and i've done this and i've done this and and then i re-pitched it and blended it and we're like whoa this is this is amazing. And he says, well, if you like it, well I've got more <laughs>
0: Just been fevering so away at background somewhere, just cultivating this yeast strain.
2: Yeah, it was a project that that came about by stealth.
1: Well because originally we had seven seven wooden barrels that we'd that we were using when I first started here to do, we did a seven deadly sins series. Um, and then they hadn't been in use for a while, so were uh, had a really neutral uh, character to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Jim we we'd kind of sent them away, got them uh, cleaned up, recouped, all of that kind of thing. Um, and they were the first barrels that were used. Um, and one of the main features about the funk dungeon, uh, which is um, probably quite unusual really, is that whilst we do occasionally do you know the barrel finished outs and that kind of thing, the barrels themselves aren't intended to be a primary source of flavor at all they're mm. they're a vessel and it's it's about the interaction between the wood and the beer and the time that they're in there yeah. um, so we uh, you know so the kind of provenance of the barrels isn't always something that's uh, particularly relevant to the beers that go in there mm. um, but yeah it's more about the beer itself and the the yeast character and all of that kind of thing so yeah jim just kind of added to it Bit by bit, with quite a bit of help from Pat, who's uh, the brewery owner, he um, mm. was also a fan of uh, beer by stealth. <laughs> 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 um, so, uh, so yeah, between them, uh, this sort of concocted it, and it's kind of just grown from there. Really, um, you know, the barrels are—I um, think we're on sort of third or fourth fill with some of them. Um, some have had to be retired um, if they've. Uh, you know picked up any kind of flame faults or anything like that yeah um but uh, it has kind of grown steadily um and i th- think we've got about 70 barrels now
2: we picked up more yesterday from yeah the
1: yeah mm. so i think yeah i think we're on about 70 barrels now wow. um they're the ones but- we can see anyway
0: <laughs> yeah there's probably another 70 somewhere else just in another cellar or <laughs> Warehouse just sat, moving on to anybody, and it's just Jim or Pat that's just got the only key to get in. Just <laughs> nobody will ever know. But I think one of the uh, the more interesting ones that I certainly remember that I saw from from what he did was the uh, the barrel aged sour lager um, that he did, which I didn't try. I must admit, because at the time I wasn't sort of into sort of trying more varied things, shall we say? But I, again, when people sort of as soon as you told anybody about this, oh, it's a barrel aged sour. Lager. Yeah, I'll try it. Yeah, I'll try it, and it's just. Like like you said, uh like you said Dan, it's almost that like it's a it's a niche product, but it's interesting enough to get people hooked and go well I'll give that a go and then once well I've tried one of these then I'll wait for the next one and then I'll wait for the next one and it's almost like you kind of get a little bit of a sort of a cult following for these sort of wacky and weird and wonderful things so I mean obviously the your latest one the sort of the pineapple weed one is that it's it sort of like that one was that sort of in, ingredient like I have no idea where pineapple weed grows is that native to here was it foraged or did you have to buy that in what was the sort of the the formulation of that one
1: so the recipe for uh the pine- pineapple weed one was um actually by a home brewer called james newman who entered the beer into um a competition we ran for our uh, beer festival funk fest a couple of years ago um the prize was what part of the prize was that the winning recipe would be brewed um on our full kit Mm -hmm. um so the pineapple weed itself it does grow in the uk um it likes quite sort of rugged ground you know like where tractors have been churning it all okay up or round the edges of parks up through paving stones it's quite a hardy little uh, little plant mm. um but uh, it actually meant that the brew itself took forever to to kind of come to fruition because uh, <laughs> competition took place um over an august bank holiday um and that was right at the end of the pineapple weed season we learned
2: right Um, okay i reckon i could go and find some
1: probably
2: (laughs) i want to see what it looks i reckon i can go and find some
0: if there's some floating (laughs) about why not
1: (laughs) so um yeah so we had to wait until sort of late spring, early summer to be able to forage some. Mm. Um, and then obviously uh, we got to March 2020 and had to put everything on hold. So uh, we eventually managed uh, to welcome James to the brew house kind of in between lockdowns last year. Uh, I think we brewed sort of September, October time, mm. by which point all of us had freezers absolutely full of pineapple weed. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we uh, mainly so forage from around uh, around Sheffield obviously for us and uh, Lincolnshire as well some of it's from um brewed in October and then uh, spent um a good few months in barrel uh, and as we were coming up to packaging it um a few weeks ago uh, we, we dry pineapple weeded it as well um and the majority of the fresh pineapple weed that went in at that stage was actually from the campsite by little earth project uh, down in down in Suffolk, which is where uh, jim and i had been on holiday and found a big patch of it which uh, tom the brewer there kindly let us uh, forage away in the corner of their campsite so uh, yeah so it's a bit of a uk wide pineapple weed yeah,
0: showcase. yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, a, it's an accidental collaboration of pineapple weed from across the uk yeah 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 very
1: much
0: that's, so. that's great though it's, it's good that obviously it's obviously a shame that A, you had to postpone it because it was out of the season, but B, then obviously the pandemic happened. But it's great that you've actually been able to not forget about that and obviously bring it back to life or bring it to life um, eventually in some way, shape or form. So it's great to see yeah. that you've actually been able to do that. But in terms of the flavours that actually brings in, what what's... What does that actually bring? Is it is it pineapple weed because of its appearance? I mean, we'll see the appearance if Dan can find some. But in terms of its flavors, what what does that? What sort of the expected flavor notes from um, the additions of that?
1: So it's from the chamomile family. Uh, so it's quite sort of delicate floral perfume-y. Um, It does. It looks and smells like pineapple, um, okay. and it has got kind of sort of tropical teeny weeny little uh, yellow buds on top. Mm. Um, it's the kind of thing that if if Dan can't find any. Um, or if if you're listening or watching along, if you if you Google it, you'll be like, oh yeah, I know exactly what that is. And you, you'll walk mm. past it all the time without even noticing it. It's uh, one of those kind of understated um, little things that pops up everywhere. But yeah, so it's uh, got a little bit of a tropical nose to it. But um, if you think of chamomile, it's that kind of uh, flavour um and we added uh it's nelsons oven hops uh, that are the primary hop in there as well mm. uh, which was something that um obviously james felt worked really well uh with the flavors in there um we upped to the quantity of uh, nelson Sovin in there uh, for the main brew just to help bring all those flavors forward um just that little bit more um but yeah it's uh, we we're, we're really happy with it as is james which was something that was really <laughs> important to us obviously that um he's he's uh, happy that we've done his original recipe justice so uh,
0: yeah, yeah 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 well given it's given it's not your own beer the last thing you want to do is obviously not not be happy with it but thankfully yeah <laughs> uh, thankfully he is but it it does make you wonder how sort of that came to be in terms of trying to make something with pineapple weed or foraging it so it always makes wonders like when at what point do you walk past a weed or a plant plant or flower and think i could put that in a beer and see what happens and how do you sort of like and <laughs> like you said he bouncing Pineapple weed between Nelson Sobin hops work best with this. And it's like, how do you, you know, like, how do you even get to that that point of tasting weeds and hops? And it's just, it's the creative, I think that's part of it is obviously the creativity of you guys yourselves, but then bringing something back to life is part of what makes this sort of world and industry a, a broad and appealing thing because somebody will find everything that they like, no matter how weird and wonderful it may be.
1: Definitely. And I think that's, that's one of the, the beauties of that competition and something we were really happy with is, you know, it's something that on, on the kind of scale that we work on, it's something we would never have thought of. Um, mm. whereas obviously that coming kind of through, um, a homebrew kind of size of operation, um, it was evident that the flavors worked and it was just then, um, figuring out how to, how to upscale it. Um, so yeah, we were, it was great that that kind of beer one, that was something we'd that would never have occurred to us to try Beforehand,
0: I think uh, Dan's returning.
1: I found, I found
2: some.
0: <laughs> a picture.
2: No, a, yeah. I'm sure I <laughs> passed some on my way to work this morning, so I was quite confident.
0: But well, there was some about. Yeah, yeah. No, it all got sacrificed for the greater good. That's uh, <laughs> that's what happened. It all got you. Do you know what? Somebody there'll been some kicking around, and oh, we're not going to need this. So chuck it away. I'll get rid of it, or something. That's what'll have happened. It'll, you know, it'll have been this week or last week or whenever. It'll have been some of, Somewhat trivial or somewhat local. So, so yeah. So obviously, like you said, there's sort of um, tweakings of um, of a couple of these beers as well. Like we said, we touched upon sort of like the cryo heath and the um, the double double deception. Um, so if you want to sort of just look at the, the cryo-heathen on its own, so obviously heathen, obviously, like I said before, it's one of your sort of core beers in American Pale Ale. Um, but what, what sort of difference has hopping it or cryo-hopping it made to the actual beer itself or in terms of comparison to the original one as sort of how was that elevated and changed its, its flavour notes, down?
2: I mean, it's, it was all about trying to um, impart as much hop character um, and obviously specifically mosaic, into mm. the beer as possible, but without the bitterness. So you still still wanted it to be balanced and and uh, and drinkable, um, and really uh, really let the mosaic shine through. I think it's uh, the way the Crayle works is it it just disperses the hops around the beer just so so much more so much more efficiently. Mm. Um, it's, it's, it, we've found it's a, it's a very good product.
0: But I've, I've always think that Mosaic sometimes gets a bit overshadowed, obviously, with some of the other hops that are out there now, particularly Citra and even sort of like the like, so, like so Nelson or some New World hops. I think Mosaic can be a fantastic hop when it's used on its own and it's it was such a powerful hop, you know, such a fragrant hop and aromatic hop, but such a, a flavorful hop as well. Like you said, Dan, it's kind of, I think, when some beers that I've had it on its own, and I'm sure this, this will be no different, is that it's, I think, it's one of the, the better hops that are, that are out there to deliver quite a, a punchy um, flavor and aroma.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's the, the passion, fruity, guavary mm. vibe that you get. It's, um, there's not really anything else on the market like it, to be honest.
0: No, and I, I think it's a, a fantastic up and, and and much sort of going on to the uh, the double deception sort of looking at. Um nelson Sovin. so obviously again deception as, as we can see on the sort of the banner behind you it's kind of your um core range again um looking at the new zealand top nelson Sovin. um but is that sort of is that just a double strength double hop version it just amplified or has there been any sort of tweaks or modifications to that to bring it to life
2: well we did a we did a double deception for our 20th anniversary but that was um that was more of a cask slightly stronger double hop Quantity, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, whereas that sold incredibly well, Mm. uh, that was um, it was uh, something that the brewers always wanted to do was to do a a, a genuine double deception. So um, so yeah, uh, that's what that's what we went for. That's what the brief was, and uh, and we're we're lucky enough to be able to get the hop supply for Nelson in those kind of quantities.
0: Yeah, this is the thing. It's you're kind of constrained in some respects, aren't you, by the the hops and contracts and availability, aren't you? That's the that's the problem having the ideas but sometimes you can't always always do it can you like you say one,
1: uh, one thing that um, kind of feeds through from our history and the fact that we are uh, 25 years old as a brewery right now that we've got really good kind of long-standing relationships with a lot of the hops players um, mm. which means that you know we are able to we're very fortunate in that really and that we're able to um, get our hands on some, uh, some really really lovely hops and um, we've got quite a quite an extensive hop store um as well so uh, yeah that's that's one thing that we've kind of built as we've as we've grown um and uh, yeah able to make the most of it and the pale ales are kind of the thing that we're most well known for so it allows that to Mm. Uh, to continue really
0: and sort of a bit of a curveball or sort of a random question but in terms of hops what would you say that Dan from a personal drinker's point of view to use and to to both drink and same for you Laura what would you say that your favourite hops are that you've that you've used or can can get your hands on
1: I know my answer immediately so shall I go first (laughs) (laughs) I'm a big uh, sriracha ace fan Um, okay but uh, obviously at the moment, because you've got hops like Sabro and Talus coming through as well, that are in the same kind of mm. flavor zone as as Sirachi. Um, I really love all of them. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Dan.
0: I'm what quite you, old Dan?
2: school. I uh, I've got to have got to say Amarillo for me.
0: Which I imagine they've probably uh, experienced quite extensively firsthand if you went to uh, to America. Got some of the nice West Coast over there. Because I must admit, I do like my sort of my big juicy, hoppy New England that sort of thing. But sort of the. The nice sort of pine and bitterness that you get from those sort of hops in the west coast it's something that i do uh, do appreciate a little bit more every now and again just to give you something a little bit different from all the the haziness that you do get that's uh seems to be everywhere at the moment so it's something nice to get something a little bit different but um laura sort of the, the sabro sort of thing to you it's it, among my sort of group of people i speak to and drink with i think i'm the only one that actually enjoys sabro whereas everyone no, i can't stand it it just does Don't belong in... Pineapple don't belong in my beer. uh, Coconut don't belong in my beer. You know, whatever flavours they get from it. But I just think it adds a lovely flavour. Nice sort of creaminess and softness to it. And I think some of the beers I've had it with Citra. I think Citra and Sabro make such a a wonderful combination together of that sort of really powerful citrus fruits and the, the coconutiness. it's just i can't get enough of it but yeah i know it's uh much like Sriracha Ace was when it first came out it's uh kind of split people straight down the middle i think but definitely a marmite hop because
1: it's so distinctive as well you know you can tell you know pass pass the beer across the bar and you can mm. you can smell that uh that that's in there so uh, yeah, i love yeah. it but it 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 does make it a bit more of a love hate kind of thing. <laughs>
0: have you guys have you guys actually used it in any RBs? as or plan to use it Sabro anything like that or is it still
1: Yeah um we did a version of our deliverance double IPA uh last year um in collaboration with the uh, Yukima chief that had uh, Sabro and I don't think it had its name of, of Talus by then uh the HBC variety mm, okay. uh, now known as Talus. Um mm. and yeah they were they were both in there and it was uh, probably one of my favorite beers of all time
0: uh, <laughs> <laughs> not just of Abbeydale's beers just ever yeah. yeah just
1: generally um it was one of those that we released the first batch in March last year um and our canned beers just once lockdown hit they all just disappeared so we're like oh we better make that again then <laughs> <laughs> so uh, we managed to release it twice as well so uh
0: Excellent. Um, so one thing that I did want to sort of pick up and mention for you guys as well is obviously a lot of your canned beers now, particularly not your your cask beers, you do sort of make a conscious effort of making them um both gluten free and vegan, which a lot of beers are sort of vegan these days because they're not fine and filters, obviously. But you a lot of your beers now are particularly gluten free, which I think is something that's becoming more popular. Um, sort of you know, it's been hard to to find beers that have been gluten-free for quite a few years. So what was the sort of the decision-making process to, to do that, and do you find that it's made any sort of difference to, to the end product at all, or is it sort of does it does it not really make that much of a difference? Do you find
2: it's all it's all to do with the journey that we've been going, and we're still on the journey now, uh, uh, going from um, cask beer to craft beer, and mm-hmm. I alluded to, alluded to early on in the meeting about we set our own standards for clarity. All of a sudden. Uh, when you make keg beer, you're then dealing with, um, uh, with uh, certain issues and how the beer is presented. Mm. Uh, how do we know that now that the, the craft beer drinker doesn't necessarily care whether it's clear or not?
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: So when we first started doing it in our trial of pale ales that we did, numbered one to the pale ale one to all the way to pale ale number seven, I think we did, It um, was an enzyme that we used as hay stabilisation um, called Blue, Brewer's Clarex, um, and um, it, it just, just so happened that the, and the added benefit was uh, it strips the gluten out. We then gained confidence in, in telling people uh, after running certain tests on it, getting them getting some lab analysis, that once it was below a certain part per billion, then you know we were okay to declare it as, as gluten free. So. We didn't really have to change
0: anything; we were already doing. Yeah. So does that mean that some of them inadvertently, from using brewers' Clarics were already gluten-free? Without obviously, you couldn't certify them, but it's just that was just a, a byproduct of the process you were doing already. Then certain instances.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. Once we declared that it was gluten-free, we had to put it in every single time. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> but no, I think I think the thing for me is that we're, I mean, certainly from from your beers and other beers that I've tried that have been you know that had the, the gluten because obviously the gluten is removed obviously at a later date is that I, I personally don't think it that makes that much of a difference or if you told me it was gluten-free if you if I didn't know I, I wouldn't have known in the first place anyway um yeah it
1: doesn't it doesn't affect the the flavor at all so uh you know it's it's, uh, it's not it's not really taking anything out of the beer mm. um you know it's just breaking it down in in such a way is my understanding of it anyway which <laughs> yeah. possibly slightly simplified um but yeah it's a very nifty little enzyme for sure
0: yeah yeah it's, it's there's a lot of science and sort of geeky things that are going on in the brewing world but just tell me it happens and that's all i need to know i don't need to know how it works just it does it and that's enough i don't need to know the technical ins and outs of it but no it's good because there's so many people out there I mean I'm not one of them um that that needs sort of uh, gluten-free beers but it's becoming so frequent now especially sort of on social media there's sort of like pages dedicated to sort of gluten-free drinkers and breweries and things it's great that you sort of you you do that because it's again I think what we touched on Laura that while she would gone down is that craft beer is so accessible to such a broad variety of people that people with intolerances can enjoy beer that once before the wouldn't have been able to so it's it's great and making it more accessible to more people is is just an added bonus and is that something that you then is sort of this process going to be something you do in every sort of can or keg beer going forward or just a select few or
2: we're all about inclusivity aren't we i mean why wouldn't you
0: Mm. yeah yeah
2: you know there's there's no case at all for for not doing it for for us anyway
0: Yeah, yeah. Well that's it. If it makes no no odds to you in terms of what you're doing already or the, the end product, then like I say, there's there's no reason not to really, I suppose, is there? So so no, no good stuff. One of the sort of last questions before we sort of look to wrap up is obviously like we keep mentioning, you guys have been going on for for a while now 25 years what both Lauren and Dan what do you sort of think is the the most important factor that has been the main reason why you guys have, have been around for so long and had the continuing success for Aberdale from from your own sort of personal perspectives and how the business is moving forward
2: I think uh, one thing that's always set us apart is our our consistency and customer service
0: mm-hmm.
2: if anyone's got any problem with the beer whether they're a, a trade customer or whether they're just a they're an online shop customer or or, or anything like that if they, they give us some feedback always compensate people for any losses mm-hmm. um, and as I say the consistency has is, is always been there right from the, right from the beginning uh, that Pat has, uh, has etched into the foundation of Abidel Brewery that this is the process that we follow
1: yeah, I think for me uh, the other thing that I'd add um, that the beer is paramount but so is the people um, and that's in terms of both the team that we have that work here Um, through to the people that drink it you know it's um, it's all about caring about the product um, and having that kind of passion and familiarity is uh, is something that's really important to to all of us at the team here and hopefully that comes across in the beers as well
0: excellent good stuff no and it certainly and it certainly shows through um you know in terms of the end products and, and you guys as a whole I know that looking at you across your social media you know there's always you guys getting involved and other people at the brewery in certain circumstances that are involved with the social media side of things and obviously involved with the brewing so was it the one of the beers you brewed was it this week or last week when you're all involved with adding the hopton and things so it, it's good that you know everyone is sort of included um, across the brewery, because the more the more people know about it and the more people get involved with it, the, the better and easier your job then become from a sales point of view and a communications point of view. So it, it all sort of feeds in together, doesn't it, really, of just everyone on the same same hymn sheet and on the same page. So, no, it makes sense. Um, but, La, I think you just wanted to mention one thing that's potentially coming up for you guys, um, Funkfest. So do you want to tell us about?
1: Yeah, um, it will be the fourth year that we'll have been able to do something uh, for funk fest this year. Um, the first two were physical events here in the brewery. Last year was an online um, funk fest at home um, and this year we're kind of um, moving it forward and combining um, what we've learned already um, and we'll be having a calling it, mixed venue mixed media mixed fermentation festival. Um, so uh, we're reaching out to venues around Sheffield and beyond so whether that's bottle shops, uh, pubs and bars, um, and other breweries just to kind of spread the word and share the, share the love of um, funky and mixed fermentation beers um we've got some really exciting beers coming up so we'll be doing an online tasting of those um but yeah just kind of contributing to to the whole community and um talking about uh, that style of beer so that'll be the last week in october uh, finishing on halloween
0: excellent lovely stuff yeah but well, it's a brilliant idea like you say of mixed venue mixed firm everything it's sort of it all feeds in nicely, doesn't it? So it kind of be a nice celebration across different formats and venues, and the more, the more people that support it across sort of Yorkshire and beyond, it'll be good for everybody to get involved. And certainly, I'll try and get involved where we where uh, where I can in terms of either myself or from from the shops' point of view. So we'll uh, we'll try and get involved with it. So look forward to it. Um, but Laura, Dan, thank you both for uh, for joining me um this afternoon. I appreciate that you are both at work, so you've probably got other things to do with them beyond just sitting and talking about beer. So I uh, I do appreciate uh-huh. it.
1: What we that's what we do all the time
0: anyway. Yeah. <laughs> just stuck just stuck in a room doing all sorts of PR requests and interviews and things. Yeah, yeah but no i appreciate it so um no guys thank you uh, very much for sending me the beers thank you for joining me um but um for anybody who's not following you guys which i'm sure there will be where can people find out more about what's going on at abydale sort of across social media and things where can they find you
1: so, yeah so uh, uh is our website we're abidale brewery on facebook and at abidale beers on twitter and instagram um so yeah, you can find us on all of those uh haven't quite made it as far as TikTok yet, although uh, Christy, one of our, <laughs> our brewers, is uh, really keen to get on there. So you know, maybe one day, but currently um, um, all our beers are on untapped as well. Um, if people are drinking them and um, want to let us know what they think.
0: Perfect. Lovely stuff. I think TikTok sort of becoming a little bit more popular and sort of getting a bit more widespread. I've sort of dabbled myself a couple of times, but Dan, you don't look very impressed about the... Uh... <laughs> prospect of tiktok there i must admit so but yeah well it's is, it is the next best thing to happen to tiktok but no guys again thank you very much um we'll speak to you soon i'll let you know when this goes live like I say it'll be live as part of my ongoing celebrations in september um but thank you very much and i'll speak to you both soon
1: thank you and happy you. birthday
0: no yes. thank you very much